Hello, spooky friends. It's Blair Bathory, here to bring you your weekly dose of horror. By now, you should know that I love exploring haunted, abandoned, and creepy places. I love sharing my findings on TikTok, but sometimes I visit a place so evil, so menacing, that even I was too afraid to step inside. One of those locations inspired our first story, and I must warn you, if you do find yourself standing at the gates, enter at your own risk. Scary Story Podcast brings original short scary stories right to your ears every week. Like Dead of Night, the story of a man who moves into a new apartment building only to discover its sinister foundation. Or another recent one, The Delivery, where a man discovers a family secret hidden in plain sight. Have you ever listened to a scary story that lingers as if it reminds you of a long lost memory? My name is Edwin Covarrubias, host and writer over at Scary Story Podcast, where every episode brings you a short, original scary story every week. The stories are read just like this, me telling you a frightening story that will blur the lines between this and the world of hauntings, ghosts, experiences that defy logical explanation. You can join us by searching for Scary Story Podcast on your app right now. It's the show by Scary FM. I'll see you over on Scary Story Podcast. It's difficult to imagine what makes a seemingly good person do bad things. When something snaps in their brain and they start to crumble or even go as far as to commit murder, we must examine the circumstances. Were they evil all along? Or was there something else compelling them? They may have unfortunately ended up in a hellish place. First, dying to breathe, followed by a sea of death, then a hellish haunt. Finally, in our featured story, a copycat killer. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week. And of those, the scariest ones make it into our podcast, along with the story that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarled. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. If you'd like to support Something Scary, then consider joining our Patreon. As a patron, not only can you help the show and see ad-free episodes, but you can also be a part of the horror and hear your name featured in one of our podcast or weekly video stories. Visit patreon.com snarled. So, wanna hear something scary? A hellish place. When you don't pay attention to history, it's bound to repeat itself, and you'll be doomed like everyone before you, like in this story inspired by Nicole. A mansion in Cleveland, Ohio, called Franklin Castle, went on the market for the first time in four decades. Paul Walter, architect and historian, was not only the first to bid on the property, but offered $100,000 over the asking price to solidify the deal. Built in 1881 with 20 bedrooms, it was the perfect yet rather flamboyant sanctuary for just one man and his wife. On an aesthetic level, Paul adored anything with gargoyles and turrets, but what would two people with no children do with such a vast place, especially one with such an ominous history? 
Within three weeks of the original bid, the Walters began to move into Franklin Castle. The movers were quick and efficient, seeming desperate to get in and out of the house as fast as they could. Most knew the stories, and even the new guy felt a general sense of unease within the building. Just before leaving, the head mover handed Paul papers to sign and quickly asked if he was aware of the estate's history. The proud new owner nodded with an unnerving grin. Within seconds, the moving trucks were gone, leaving the Walters to prepare their new home for whatever plans they had. Within three months, the property was up and running as a bed and breakfast. There'd been a high turnaround in contractors, many citing feeling uncomfortable in the property. There were rumors of cold spots, unexplained shadows, but the Walters dismissed it as disgruntled staff. They spent thousands of dollars promoting the place in a way that would help out-of-towners forget its history. But many locals couldn't. Whispers of torture and murder dating back to the late 1800s spread through town for decades along with rumors directed at the original builder and resident, Hannes Tiedemann. Tiedemann was a German immigrant who claimed he wanted to make a new life for himself. However, after having only lived there 27 years, he left a tragic legacy and stories of many deaths inside the walls of the mansion. His wife and mother and all of his children had died, leaving the house to the state after his own passing. Without an heir and as the last to die, Tiedemann was posthumously accused of murder, or at the very least negligence, leading to so many tragedies. But the Walters spun a fantastic marketing plan applied paint and spackle and denied any talk of hidden tunnels or passageways. And travelers from out of state ate it up with a spoon. They began to fill the B&B by the dozens on a regular basis. Although some wondered if the accused murderer or indeed his innocent victims had ever really left. The 4th of July, the place was fully booked, heaving with guests. The Walters threw an elaborate barbecue finishing the evening off with impressive fireworks. Once all the guests had retreated to their rooms, a strange smoke began to seep into the hallways. The outside doors were locked and chained shut. Before long, the guests realized that the house was rapidly filling with tear gas, causing total panic as they scrambled out of their rooms, seeking fresh air and safety. The 32 patrons fled down the hallways and corridors trying to escape. They kept going downward, following each other like lemmings, anxiety rising. They eventually, though coughing and disoriented, reached the ice-cold basement where their host, Paul, and his wife, wearing gas masks, greeted them. The guests were confused, pleading for help. The dim lighting flickered as the already crammed room seemed to welcome more shadowy figures. There were screams, the sound of begging to be set free. But the Walters, formerly known as the Tiedemann descendants, were there to carry on the family mission with a little help from Hannes himself, or at least the malevolent entity he had become. They kept the guests trapped as the poisonous fumes filled the room. Within minutes, everyone was dead. The Walters felt the house shake as the spirits of Tiedemann's previous victims wailed in anger as they were joined by 32 more. 33 now, Paul thought as he whipped out the knife and slit his wife's throat, leaving her to the special care of Hannes as he skipped town. It took two investigators two weeks to discover Paul Walter's connection to the original owner of the death house. 
This attack had been calculated and measured. And to the investigators' horror, they found that Hannes Tiedemann had owned a dozen of sizable properties with similar reputations all over the world. It appeared as Paul was looking for a new place to carry on a family tradition. Do you think the rumors are true about the haunted Franklin Castle in Ohio? And would you ever stay the night in a suspected haunted house? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Sometimes the journey to get what you want may just kill you. Like in this story inspired by Amethyst. One of the most beautiful islands in Trinidad is called Shikashigaray. The most common way to get there is by boat as air traffic can be unreliable and the landing runway is far too short for anything other than a two-seater plane. At various times through its history, it had served as a cotton plantation, a whaling station, and a leper colony. The island had seen slavery, illness, and death pass over its sands, but it was also home to one of the most beautiful lighthouses on the planet. While most of the island seems to have been swept up by hurricanes or storms at some point, the lighthouse remained pristine after more than 80 years. When renowned photographer Jasper Kingsley got the opportunity to sail to the island to shoot the guidepost, he jumped at the chance. After nearly a full day at sea, the boat approached the far point of the island opposite the lighthouse. Due to upcoming storms, the current wasn't allowing the sailboat to reach the other side without hitting the quarry. So Jasper and his guide Felipe would have to get there by foot. At first, the path seemed clear, straight up a hill, and they could see the lighthouse in the distance. Jasper was able to get some far off shots, but they were still a couple hours away from the landmark. But as the hike continued, Felipe cutting the thick brush down with a machete, an odd noise rustled the bushes ahead. It sounded too low and garbled to be human, and yet appeared to be some type of language, therefore not animal. Felipe bolted towards the bush, machete in hand, ready to kill whatever was in their path, leaving Jasper alone. The photographer could hear a tussle between Felipe and whatever was making that sound, and then Felipe screamed, Moco Jumbi! Suddenly, there was a quick snap and then silence. Jasper was confused. From what he knew, Moko Jumbi was almost a carnival character that walked on stilts around the festivals in Trinidad. Why on earth would Felipe call out that name? Jasper also felt a sliver of fear. That scream had unnerved him. 
Felipe? He called out cautiously. Not only did he hope his guide was okay, he very much didn't want to be alone and have to navigate his own way through the vegetation. He edged slowly towards the bush Felipe had rushed towards, but jumped back quickly when it began to move and emitted the same unnatural garbled sound. Felipe, he whispered. But as the bushes shook once more, this time he sprinted onto another path leading to the lighthouse. He thought if he could get to the post, he could find safety and try and seek help for his guide. He ran as fast as he could, the strange noises trailing behind him. He reached the clearing in front of the lighthouse and felt a slight reprieve as he looked up at the light shining from the top of the structure. Just then, the unexplained garble grew louder, seeming as if whatever was making it had caught up with him. He knew he had to turn around, discover the culprit. His heart hammered in his chest as he forced his body to move. What he saw caused his blood to freeze in complete and utter terror. Jasper shook his head from side to side, like a dog whispering, no, 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 no. But it was there, all 12 foot of it dressed in black, resembling something between the Grim Reaper and a reanimated corpse. The Moko Jumbi, its elongated fingers formed into daggers as the tips of it stood over Jasper, hungry. As Jasper backed up, he bumped into something cold. He spun around and saw a translucent man dressed in centuries-old attire. He pushed Jasper towards the Moko Jumbi. Then dozens of other ghosts from decades past began to manifest out of the brush. Jasper screamed, realizing that he was surrounded. Attempting to escape seemed futile. The mob cheered with a bellowing rhythm over and over. That's when the Moko Jumbi reached down and picked Jasper up shaking him above the rejoicing crowd. It held Jasper inches from its skeletal face with black eyes and long, sharp teeth. Swiftly, Moko Jumbi took its two hands, wrapping all 10 extended fingers around Jasper's waist, and in a split second, he ripped him in half as if he were a rag doll. Innards and viscera showered the celebrating specters, each grabbing a piece of the remains to bite into. And when every last particle of Jasper had been consumed, the light from the lighthouse dimmed, ready to rest after another successful harvest. Have you ever traveled to a lighthouse? Would you dare walk all the way to the top? If you did, do you think you would experience anything supernatural? Tell us about it at somethingscary@snarled.com. A new business can bring people together and seeing hard work pay off is inspiring. But that might not be all you see in this story, written by Janine Pipe. Rain looked at the building. It was simply amazing what some plastic decorations could do to lift what was otherwise just another plain and abandoned warehouse. It had been her idea to rent the place out when she found they were due for demolition in a few months. Not because they were condemned, but it was simply cheaper to start again rather than to try and repair them. There wasn't much for horror fans to do in their town when it wasn't the fall, and so she and a few of her buddies decided to pool their savings, rent out the building, and turn it into a year-round haunt, complete with scare zones and actors. 
It was extremely lo-fi for now, with literally all hands on deck and even their parents and siblings playing vital roles in the construction or running of the business. But now the evening before opening, they were all here to do the final run-through and Rain was so proud. Denzel had a GoPro strapped to his head and would be the first of the group to test out the scares, make sure all the actors were in place and everything that should be backstage was. Rain and her partner Becca sat watching the monitor. When Denzel was on speakerphone, should they need to clarify anything as he made his way through the haunt, all actors were in place, all props checked. This was the last chance to check how it looked. It was just before 6 p.m., but the warehouse let in very little natural light. To start, everything seemed fine. A couple of people were slightly off their marks, including Rain's dad, who just couldn't stand still and kept hopping from one leg to the other. But aside from that, and one rogue can of paint that had been forgotten to be moved, things looked good. Denzel was around three quarters of the way through when the GoPro started acting up. The feedback to the monitor was glitching and lagging, so Rain asked Denzel if he was in a dead zone, one of the few parts of the building where the Wi-Fi wouldn't work and there were randomly no bars on your cell. So when Denzel didn't answer right away, she wasn't too worried and asked Becca to check where he should be according to the layout of the walkthrough. Becca replied he should have been making good progress and nowhere near a dead zone, so Rain tried again to elicit a response when the power went out. Is this part of the show? She heard someone call out, followed by some nervous laughter. Um, just stay in your places, everyone, please, Rain replied, using the light from her cell to randomly flick switches on the wall, hoping the lights would ping back on. There were some muffled noises and sounds like scuffling, followed by something very wet as a voice called out. Ew, something is dripping on me. The power kicked back on suddenly, and as the people in the haunt adjusted their eyes again to the brightness, the screams began also. Rain and Becca looked into the monitor in disbelief. In the mere moments of darkness, utter chaos had ensued, and in the middle of it was Denzel. At first, he was covered in so much blood that they weren't sure whether he was a victim or the perpetrator, or both. He was certainly injured despite grinning like the Cheshire Cat, holding out his hands in front of him. One held the bloody, jagged, smashed GoPro, which had been used as a makeshift. The other, his eyes. He didn't move as people screamed and rushed around him, trying to save those who'd been attacked calling 911. He didn't move as the police arrived and arrested him, only after one had thrown up at the sight of his torn up face and what he was holding. No one knew what on earth could have happened in just a matter of minutes whilst the power was off to make a friendly, placid, regular Joe murder three innocent people and cut out his own eyes. What they didn't know was that whilst the building had been left to rack and ruin, it had still been used as the base for a highly secretive group of dark Satanists who had managed to open a portal to hell. Of course, it could only be opened by someone very special, someone born on the 6th of June, who happened to be in the exact spot at 6 p.m. 6, 6, 6. For just a split second, Denzel had glimpsed into hell, 
It had been enough to send him into a frenzy finished by ensuring he was never able to see anything again. He also never spoke again, spending the rest of his days in a catatonic state, therefore unable to tell anyone what had actually happened. Not that anyone would have believed him anyway. Have you ever been to a haunted house attraction that maybe seemed a little too real? Did anything happen? And would you ever go back? While it's nice to enjoy true crime stories in the comforts of your home, going out to visit the scenes of a crime is a very different experience. Be careful what you discover as in this tale of a famous murder. Jessica was thrilled when she learned that Lizzie Borden's house had been turned into an inn specializing in haunted tours. The chance to visit the infamous property was a dream come true. The idea of Lizzie hacking her father and stepmother into pieces centuries ago thrilled Jessica. She convinced her two best friends, Rosario and Tanya, into spending the night there. Hoping to do some paranormal investigating for her birthday, Jessica packed an EMF meter and a digital recorder in the hopes of capturing Lizzie's voice, which was rumored to echo through the halls. After a long drive, the girls finally arrived at the house. They each headed to their rooms to unpack and then headed downstairs for champagne. As Jessica walked into her room, she tacked her EMF meter for any paranormal activity, but there was no activity. As she moved around the room with it, she heard a startled cry from downstairs. She raced towards the noise, hoping to discover something scary. But it was just Rosario, who had been spooked by a painting of Lizzie. Jessica rolled her eyes and suggested her friends headed back upstairs and relax while she did some exploring. She made her way outside with her equipment. Come on, Lizzie, she called. I know you're here. While Jessica explored, Rosario drew a bubble bath. Sliding into the tub, she immediately felt relaxed. As her eyes began to droop, a child's whisper echoed throughout the room. Get out. She tried to sit up, but a hand appeared out of nowhere. Pushing her head down into the water, she struggled, trying to free herself. Her eyes bulged in terror, her mind unable to process what was happening. She kicked up in the air, splashing water everywhere, hoping someone would hear her, but no one came. The last thing she saw before drowning was a silhouette of a young boy in old-fashioned clothing. Across the hall, Tanya was resting on her bed with her headphones on. She was deep in the music when she felt a sudden chill and a door slam. She looked up but was immediately blinded as someone smothered a pillow over her face. She clawed and scratched, slashing her unknown attacker's face with her nails, but as much as she fought back, she quickly suffocated. Jessica was blissfully unaware of the tragedy upstairs, having picked up some EMF activity and followed it to the basement. The EMF device went crazy and she turned on the recorder, excitedly hoping to capture something on tape. While kneeling, her weight prop opened one of the boards and she gasped in shock. A pile of old bones had been buried under the wood. She jumped backwards and screamed at the terror in front of her. There was a ghost of a young boy in very old-fashioned, raggedy clothing. He spoke, saying his name was Augustine. What are you doing in my house? The apparition demanded. Jessica bravely replied, I, I wanted to see Lizzie Borden. 
The boy sneered. This is my house. I made Lizzie kill her stupid parents. While Jessica trembled with fear, Augustine revealed his father had buried him alive under this very floorboard as punishment hundreds of years before he killed his baby sister. A chill ran down Jessica's spine as she realized that her two best friends were upstairs alone. She raced to their rooms, but of course it was too late. They were both dead. Jessica sat huddled in the corner of Tanya's bedroom, her eyes squeezed tightly shut, her hands over her ears, desperately trying to block the sound of Augustine's laughter. The police soon arrived and arrested her. After all, she was the one covered in blood. She tried to explain everything and grab the digital recorder, but when she pushed play, there were no childish voices, no ghostly confession, just static. She begged them to look under the floorboards in the basement, but they found nothing. No bones, not a shred of evidence to corroborate her story. None of the locals had ever heard the tale of Augustine, and only Jessica heard the giggles as she was let out in cuffs. Unlike Lizzie, Jessica was found guilty and sentenced to life behind bars. She spent the long and lonely hours wondering if Augustine was real, or has she been so obsessed with the boarding case that deep down, she just wanted to know what it felt like to kill her best friends. This week's podcast stories were edited by Sarah Lukasiewicz, Janine Pipe, and Stephanie Strange. Narration by Blair Bathory and Stephanie Strange. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Irma Richardson. Produced by Anna Villalobos. Executive produced by Gail Gilman. Music by Sapphire Sindalo and Calvin Linderman. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarl.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and everything we do at Snarled, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, my spooky friends, sweet screams. <laughs>